Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show, seven minutes after four o'clock. I know that's no surprise to you. We usually start about that time. Clark Hilton is engineering. James Blend is producing. And we're glad that you are with us. Today, we're going to uh, talk with Chuck Jewell. He's a general manager of the Houston stations that are connected with Salem Media. Uh, he and his family were displaced by Hurricane Harvey. He'll tell you a bit of his story and his perspective uh, from there in Houston. We're also going to talk with uh, Robert Jeffress, who is a broadcaster here on KPDQ, heard weekdays at noon. Um, he's the author of A Place Called Heaven, 10 Surprising Truths About Your Eternal Home. He'll join us at the bottom of the hour. Uh, we're going to talk with Scott Wilder with Save the Children. They are in the process of uh, providing what children and families need in Houston and the surrounding areas. We'll talk about their work on the ground there. And uh, we'll talk with James Carafana about the uh, role that FEMA is playing, both uh, here in uh, with uh, Hurricane Harvey and in previous uh, events as well. He's coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, so... All of that coming up today. Also, our sister station, The Fish, is hosting a comedy night at East Hill Church. And I'm telling you, Michael Jr., who is going to be uh, the featured comedian, is hilarious. I'm pretty sure that we're related. I think he's probably my cousin or something, I've decided. Anyway, Michael Jr., uh, you can go to uh, kpdq.com. You can go to 1041thefish.com and get a little bit of his, uh, his comedy. But he's one of the most gifted Uh, comedians in the country. He's a believer and uh, the whole family is welcome and uh, you won't have to worry about what's going to be said. Anyway, that's coming up in September and we're going to be giving away pairs of tickets beginning today through Friday. So more on that uh, later in the program today. Well, nearly 52 inches of rain have been recorded in Cedar Bayou, Texas. The National Weather Service reported today. That's a figure that broke the the continental U.S. record. So this is the most rainfall we've ever seen in the country, at least in recorded history. Rains in the region near Mont um, Bellevue, Texas, reached 51.88 inches as of 3.30 p.m. Central Daylight Time. That's a record uh, for both Texas and the continental United States, but it doesn't surpass the 52 inches from tropical cyclone Hiki in Kauai uh, in 1950. That's before Hawaii became a state. So hence, that's why the Texas record is uh, the the top. Um, uh, The rainfall record of 51.88 has been reported in Cedar Bayou. Uh, which is a lot of rain. Harvey has gained strength, but it's uh, remained a tropical storm. Its winds increased from 45 to 50 miles an hour. Forecasters say heavy rain is continuing to spread over southeastern Texas and southern Louisiana, and they are in the process of bracing for what's coming next. An already swollen reservoir west of downtown Houston overstepped its uh, spillway on uh, Tuesday, sending an Uncontrolled release of Harvey's floodwaters into nearby neighborhoods as a separate levee breach south of the city prompted an urgent warning for residents to leave immediately. Floodwaters um, uh, at the Attics Reservoir, located about 19 miles west of downtown, went over the top of the 108-foot spillway for the first time in history, threatening immediately, uh, I should say, immediate surrounding subdivisions. A meteorologist with the Harris County, Texas Flood Control District said it was something we've never seen before at a morning uh, news conference. This is not going to happen fast. This is a very slow rising event. He told reporters, adding that the flow of water going over the reservoir into neighborhoods will increase as the levels in the reservoir behind continue to rise. Well, hours after the Attics Reservoir was uh, overtopped, as they say, officials 
in another county located south of Houston warned that a levee there at Columbia Lakes had been breached as well by floodwaters and urged any residents who had not already evacuated the area to leave immediately. And that's how the story has gone moment by moment in this area. We also learned about a Houston police officer who uh, has been confirmed dead after he drowned in floodwaters from Tropical Storm Harvey that left uh, him trapped in his vehicle. Um, in the press conference earlier today, Sergeant Steve, um, or I should say his uh, commanding um, sergeant, uh, spoke of Sergeant Steve Perez, who was 60. In fact, he was a couple of days away from his 61st birthday. He died on Sunday morning during Harvey's. Uh, the Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner confirmed that during a news conference. Uh, Perez was heading into work when he was caught in floodwaters. He had spent a couple of hours trying to get to where he was supposed to uh, go into work. His wife recalled trying to talk him out of going in. She urged him to reconsider reporting for duty. And his response to her was, I've got work to do. Well, on his way to that work, uh, the first location did not have access. Night had fallen. He attempted to make it to a second location, drove into, uh, I should say, down into an area that was heavily flooded. And he uh, later died um, uh, in his vehicle. He was discovered earlier today. That brought the number of people killed to 15 since the storm made landfall on Friday, at least 15 known. Uh, the number of deaths from Harvey could soar once the floodwaters start to recede in the uh, sprawling city. Calls for rescue have also overwhelmed emergency teams that they um, ha- have had little time to search for bodies. More than 17,000 people have been seeking refuge at shel- shelters rather, as of today. The George R. Brown Convention Center exceeded its 5,000-person capacity Monday night with hundreds more people pouring in. Harvey produced a record uh, 50, um, uh, what was it, 52, 55 inches um, as anticipated uh, in the uh, floodwaters. Let's see, 52 inches. Meanwhile, Houston churches, we're told, uh, are fighting the flooding after uh, Harvey canceled their services. It takes a lot to cancel church in the Bible Belt stronghold of Houston, Texas, home of more mega churches than any city in America, specifically nine trillion gallons of uh, rain in a weekend. Hurricane Harvey shut down Sunday services from downtown to the sprawling suburbs where churches replace typical worship gatherings with sermon videos posted on Facebook or simply messages to stay safe. Almost all Houston area churches, including the Bayou City, biggest congregations, such as Second Baptist, Houston's First Baptist Church, uh, Without Walls, uh, Wheeler Avenue Baptist, and Woodlands Church canceled all Sunday activities as a precaution. The congregations were glad they did when unprecedented rain levels ended up blocking many of the routes and leaking into some church buildings by Saturday night and Sunday morning. Joel Olstein's church was certainly in the headlines um, because uh, it was alleged that he declined to open the church and allow refugees to come in later today. Uh, They uh, showed pictures of the church that was actually flooded, um, and apparently the church is now open, but uh, the announcement was made that it was only going to open after the shelters had reached capacity, which they now have. Um, But these images of the church, uh, and they were rather significant, of the church having been flooded after the accusation was made that they were just simply unwilling to allow people to come in for shelter has at least to to some degree been um, uh, debunked. Meanwhile, as I mentioned, Louisiana residents, they're bracing for the worst of Tropical Storm Harvey today as heavy rainfall threatens to bring uh, disastrous flooding, uh, prompting uh, flashbacks of Hurricane Katrina that made landfall in the state 12 years ago. 
Rain from Harvey, which caused catastrophic flooding in Houston after making landfall in Texas last Friday, moved toward New Orleans this morning. Three inches of rain fell in the city by the morning, with flooding uh, reported in some spots. The National Weather Service issued a flash flood warning for all southeast Louisiana, uh, southwest Mississippi, and Mississippi Gulf Coast uh, through Thursday. Um, So the disaster for them is just approaching, but it will not be the end uh, for some time, we are being told. Up next, I had a conversation earlier today with Chuck Jewell, who was displaced by Hurricane Harvey in Houston. He's a general manager of one of the uh, Salem media stations in Houston, and he'll tell his story when we return. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we are back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, as you know, we've been talking about the fallout in Houston following Hurricane uh, Harvey and the, the devastation that is left in its wake has not ended. We may not know for some days what ultimately the damage will be. But for those who have been displaced from their homes who are experiencing flooding today and others who anticipate flooding, flooding rather in the days ahead, uh, this is a very difficult time. Well, uh, Salem has a group of stations in Houston, and joining us to talk about his experience in Houston is Chuck Jewell, who is the GM there over the cluster of stations, uh, Salem Media Group stations there. I appreciate so much you're taking the time to talk with us today. I know that you have been displaced by the flooding, so this is a, a sacrifice on your part. Thank you for joining us. Hey, no problem. Glad to give you guys uh, an insight into what's going on here. You know, we're here on the West Coast. We're seeing images from Houston, and they are, they're heartrending to see the, the, the uh, difficulty that people are facing in the wake of this storm. Help us to understand what it was like for you when you and your family were displaced by rising waters. Well, when I kid a few years ago, you know, we lost power for a couple of, couple of hours. But other than that, we had no loss in it just kind of passed. We didn't really appreciate as much as uh, we should have the the terrible misery that I caused. But with this, I think it was Thursday afternoon, um, we were watching TV and our world kind of come to an end when the guy says, look, there's going to be a mandatory evacuation of your area because of the Brazos River. So, you know, we tried to get out of town. Every single area uh, to get out was blocked. And, you know, there for a while, we didn't know what we're going to do. And luckily, one of my sales managers, uh, who is out of the real danger area, took us in. But uh, it was very scary. It became very real to my wife and I. And we still don't know uh, what's going to happen to our house. So far, so good. But watching the images of all these people on TV and the, and the pain and suffering, I mean, they're coming down in waist-high water with nothing but the, the clothes on their back and maybe a dog, that the family dog. And the big thing that really gets to me in my heart is, you know, the adults, it's, it's hard on them, of course, but it's the children that are really the ones that I just, my heart goes out to because they're in more stressed and most of these kids now are with their parents in uh, a shelter somewhere and they're not really uh, you know equipped for children so they need clothing they need things like toys I mean just a coloring book uh, for a child to get his mind off of uh, his uh, troubles for a while would be great. So, you know, I know Salem is doing Save the Children, which is a great thing to bring in all these the needed clothing and diapers and shoes and, and, like I said, toys and things to help these kids out. 
I just love the fact that they're doing that. Well, and I love the fact that we have an opportunity here and in stations all across the country to partner with them to provide the resources that these families and their children so desperately need. It's difficult for us, I think most of us in this country, but certainly those of us here on the West Coast, to really understand the devastation of losing everything in a moment. A storm hits, the waters rise, you're evacuated from your home, you don't know what you're going to return to. For many of these families, trying to communicate with their children, you know, what life is going to be like for them in the future. And we're hearing stories of of, uh, the fact that this is going to take not just weeks and months, but perhaps years to fully recover. I'm grateful that we have an opportunity to respond in a constructive way, and that um, uh, this is an opportunity to extend the love of Christ through an organization, Save the Children, uh, that is motivated by their love for Christ. Um, do you think this is going to have a major impact on your community? Oh, no question. I mean, there's so much need in this town, and for Save the Children to, to get into this fray and to help out and bring money and have listeners like at your station and ours give of their, their treasure to help people who are less fortunate is, is just heart, you know, it's just heartwarming to me. And the thing I love, I've worked for Salem now for 13 years, And this is what Salem does. Salem partners with people like Save the Children to bring needed food and shelter and and just the necessities of life to people at a time when they think the Lord has abandoned them for a period of time. Mm -hmm. And I I just love the fact that Salem does this and has a heart for people. Um, I'm just very proud of what we do. Well, I have to tell you, KPDQ listeners are also people with very big hearts, and I would encourage our listeners to consider making a gift of $50. That's what Save the Children says will really help them to provide for a child, for a family in a shelter or looking for a place to be sheltered. You can call 888 248-0312. That's 888-248-0312. You can also log on to kpdq.com and you can give online there as well. A gift of $50 will make a big difference in the life of a child who has been displaced, has no idea what's going on, what the future holds, but it says to them, there are people all across this country who are aware of my situation, they care about me, and I am being provided for. It's as if we are wrapping the the arms of Jesus around these children so that they are comforted in knowing uh, that everything's going to be all right. Again, that telephone number, 888-248-0312. You can also log on to kpdq.com. Now, one of the things that has impressed all of us, and particularly during this very divisive time in our country, is seeing the, the people of Houston come together uh, to to minister to one another, whether that's a boat that's put in the water to save neighbors or people who are coming from uh, areas nearby coming to help rescue those who are stranded. Is that part of the, uh, the, the culture in Houston? Yes, that's why I'm so proud to be a Texan for the last 13 years. The neighbors helping neighbors. They don't have to be called. They don't have to be asked or begged. They just come to the site where it's needed, and they bring their boats and their and their power boats, their canoes, you name it. They're there, and I have never seen anything like this. Uh, but here in Texas, uh, you know, we say everything's bigger in Texas. Well, the heart is bigger in Texas as well. Mm. So I'm very proud of our Texans. And, and what they come out and they, they work with the community and they just make, try to make things better right away. So yeah. I'm, 
very proud to be here. Serving one another. Well, my hope is because we can't hop in a boat and go door to door and rescue people, we can't drive our cars and get there and provide some material support personally. I'm hoping that we will respond to the invitation that's been extended to us from Save the Children and we partnering with them in order that we can extend the love of Christ in very practical and tangible ways to those who are in great need and we can see it with our own eyes. I'm hoping that KPDQ listeners will get in that lifeboat and call 888-248-0312 and make a gift of $50 or any amount uh, that you can give to come alongside families who are just trying to stay together and reassure their children that everything's going to be all right. Uh, again, you can call Save the Children at 888-248-0312. You can also log on to kpdq.com. And of course, you can give on our secure website. Look for the Save the Children banner and all the details are there for you. Let's demonstrate to the folks in Houston that we here in the Pacific Northwest, and in particular, the body of Christ, we have big hearts here as well. And we're going to come alongside and uh, help them to recover from what really has been unprecedented and devastating in terms of its uh, its overall scope. So what's happening uh, for you in the days ahead? Uh, will you find out uh, the status of your home? Do you know when you'll be allowed to return? Yeah, um, we got good news uh, early this morning that the Brazos River, which is why we were displaced, isn't going to rise as fast or as far as they previously thought. So we are hoping against hope that later this week we'll be able to go back home. Right now it's we're still high and dry and praying that, that uh, the area that I live in stays dry. Um, so it's better than it was two days ago. Two days ago they said we could have six feet of water oh. in our house. And that just, I mean, you say, what do I do? Now I, now I put myself in the place of all these poor people that Save the Children is trying to help. Uh, where do you go? The hotels are booked. The apartments that are available are booked. Uh, who, who do I go to? I'm, my relatives don't live in Texas. I have to count on somebody, and Save the Children is one of those organizations that's there to help uh, the, the people that need it the most, and that's the kids. Absolutely. We're being told that upwards of 30,000 people will be displaced before this is all said and done in Houston and surrounding areas. We can't uh, provide for every single one of them, but we can reach out to one family, to one small child in Houston or uh, somewhere where they have been displaced by calling Save the Children and making a gift of $50 or more to provide them what they need the most right now and to give them a sense of calm and hope in the days moving ahead. Again, that telephone number for Save the Children, 888 888- Two four eight zero three one two. That's eight 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 two four eight zero three one two. You can also log on to kpdq.com and look for the Save the Children banner. Well, Chuck Jewell, I appreciate so much you're taking the time to talk with us. We'll continue to pray for your family uh, and others uh, who are displaced uh, in these early days, and uh, just hope that uh, God will intervene and that you'll be able to return to your home soon. Well, I appreciate that. We appreciate the prayers, and, and God loves Save the Children and everybody that's trying to help. Uh, we appreciate a lot. Good talking to you. Good talking to you as well. Thanks so much. Uh-huh. You're welcome. Again, Chuck Jewell is the general manager of our Salem Media uh, cluster of stations in Houston. And as you heard, he was displaced from his home uh, when the Brazos River threatened to uh, exceed its banks. Thankfully, it appears at this point that his home will not be uh, flooded, but certainly others have been. And if you'd like to uh, to respond, you can give to Save the Children at 888-248-0312 or log on to kpdq.com. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
We're back 34 minutes after four o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Let me ask you a few questions that are addressed in my next guest's latest book. Is heaven a real place or is it just a state of mind? Will we know one another in heaven? What will we do there? Well, best-selling author and pastor Dr. Robert Jeffress answers these and other popular questions about heaven in his latest book, A Place Called Heaven, Ten Surprising Truths About Your Eternal Home. He says that heaven is not some fanciful imaginary destination. Jesus Christ assures us that heaven is a real place, and if he goes to the trouble of creating such an elaborate home, we can be sure he's going to return to gather us up and escort us into this indescribable new destination that he is preparing for us. What an excitement it is. But what do we know about heaven or what do we think we know and what don't we know at all? Well, Dr. Robert Jeffress is senior pastor of the 13,000 member First Baptist Church in Dallas. Uh, He's a Fox News contributor and a member of the executive committee of the White House Faith Initiative. His daily radio program, Pathway to Victory, is heard on more than 930 stations nationwide, including this one at noon weekdays. And his weekly television program is seen on thousands of cable uh, systems and stations in the U.S. and nearly 200 countries around the world. Known for his bold biblical stands on cultural issues, uh, Dr. Jeffress has been interviewed on more than 2,000 radio and television programs, including Hannity, Lou Dobbs Tonight, Judge Janine and uh, Varney and Company, and many, many others. And I will add the Georgine Rice Show. He joins us today to talk about his latest book, A Place Called Heaven, 10 Surprising Truths About Your Eternal Home. Dr. Jeffress, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be back with you again. We've been doing this for quite a while. We have. (laughs) (laughs) I have to ask you, because so much of our focus is on Houston, how is the state of Texas doing in the wake of this tragedy that's taken uh, a major swath of uh, territory in uh, in Texas and Houston? Well, Texas is hurting right now. We've never seen anything like this. And we do appreciate the prayers of all the people in our country. And uh, we're trying to lead the way First Baptist Church in Dallas and encouraging other churches to certainly pray, but also to pitch in and help to do some very practical things to uh, bring help and hope to the people in South Texas. We're focusing on raising funds here as well. Um, So we are praying and trusting that God will provide the needs of the people, and we're going to come alongside him in that work. Well, let me ask you a question I think many people often wonder. We hear the phrase, you're too heavenly minded to be earthly good. Should we be thinking about heaven at all? And and is it relevant to us now? You know, I've heard that <laughs> that trite phrase that mm-hmm. you've heard before, too heavenly minded to be earthly good. I've never run into a Christian who thinks about heaven too much. You know, I think the problem is we think about it too little. little. Yes. <laughs> and I quote C.S. Lewis, you know, he said, history has shown that the people who have been most effective in this world are those who thought most about the next world. And then he said, aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in aim at earth and you get neither. And, uh, you know, the Lord says to set your mind on the things that are above. And, you know, I I use this analogy, Georgine, if you knew your company was going to transfer you in six months to a foreign country, and you knew that move was going to be permanent, you'd do everything you could to find out about that new country you were going to be moving Hmm. to. You'd make preparation and make sure you were ready to go. And the same thing is true for us as Christians. We are going to be transferred one day. We ought to learn what we can about that place called heaven and make sure that we're prepared for it. What a great analogy. Now, is heaven a real place or is it just a state of mind? There seems to be some confusion, particularly among those who perhaps don't know their Bible. 
No, Jesus is very clear. He said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. In fact, he uses that word place three times. Topos is the Greek word. It means a geographical location. And you've probably done this before. Just recently, I was standing on top of the Mount of Olives, preaching there, where Jesus ascended into heaven. And remember, Acts 1 says that uh, the angels told the disciples, why do you look into heaven? The same Jesus is going to return from heaven right here to the Mount of Olives. Now, think about it. When Jesus left a geographical location, did he leave a geographical location and go into a state of mind? No, he just simply switched locations. A heaven is just as real of a location as the Mount of Olives is as well. And one day, we are going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air in a very real place called heaven. Now, you quoted Jesus who makes reference to heaven. Why is it that so many believers Uh, know about a place, but know so little beyond the fact that there is a place called heaven. Well, I think we've fallen into the idea that the Bible doesn't tell us that much about heaven. It doesn't tell us everything about heaven, but it does tell us a lot about this place called heaven. And, you know, some of the questions that I answer in the book, A Place Called Heaven, are things like, you know, what are we going to do in heaven uh, for all eternity? You know, some people are hoping it's not going to be one unending church service. You know, for some people, (laughs) that would be more like hell than heaven. And I shared, in fact, that it's not going to be that. It's going to be much more than that. Will we know one another in heaven? Will heaven be the same for everybody? Georgine, the Bible answers all of those questions clearly, as I spell out in the book. Yeah, well, the requirement then is that, first of all, we are in God's Word so that we can discover what it says about heaven rather than speculate or be mistaken about the fact that there's very little said. That's right. And uh, that's exactly true. And one of the topics I tackle in the book is, well, have some people already visited heaven? We hear about the near-death experiences and extra information about heaven. Look, without getting into it in depth, I believe everything we need to know about heaven is revealed right in God's Word. Mm. Well, let's talk about some of the uh, the more common myths that we have about heaven. There's a lot of Uh, discussion about it among people who have no profession of faith, who don't know the scriptures, but uh, are making comments about heaven. What are some of the, the more common myths? Well, let, let me just mention two of those myths, and, and that is, one is that when we die, we become somebody else in heaven, and that's just not true. I mean, our life is a continuum that begins here and extends into heaven. We don't become different people when we get into heaven. We're the same people. For example, we have the same name in heaven that we have here on earth. When Moses and Elijah returned from heaven to be with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, they were still named Moses and Elijah. We're going to retain our names. I think our new bodies are going to be somewhat similar to our current bodies. You know, Jesus' resurrection body was the prototype, the Greek word says, of our resurrection bodies. And think about it, Georgine. Jesus' disciples recognized him. There were some features about his body that made him recognizable. I think also we're going to retain some of the same interests and gifts that we have here on earth. I don't think God gave us gifts and interests just for this world alone, but again, life is a continuum. We're going to use those gifts and interests in the new world that God has prepared for us. You know, the second myth is that somehow all we're going to do in heaven is worship. Uh, that's not true. We're going to work in heaven. Again, some people are surprised to hear that, but the fact is work is a gift from God. God created Adam to be a worker even before the fall. And uh, again, if that doesn't sound enticing to people, remember in the new heaven, in the new earth, all of the things that make our work mm-hmm 
unpleasant, tired bodies, uh, government regulation, strained relationships, all those things will be removed and we'll enjoy work like God intended us to. Mm. Now, one of the uh, questions that people have is, and I often hear uh, at a funeral or once someone has has died that, you know, they're looking down on us or that they're aware of what's going on. I know that they're still with me. What do we know about those who have died and whether or not they know what's happening here on Earth? Um, as many would speculate, it's, it's quite common uh, among mm-hmm. those who are followers of Christ as well as those who are just um, speaking generally. I think there's a very clear scriptural evidence that people in heaven are aware of what's happening on earth. In Revelation 6, during the Great Tribulation, the Tribulation saints who were martyred for their faith, they're in heaven, they look down on what's happening on earth, and they say, Lord, how long are you going to restrain your judgment from what's happening on the earth? So there's that general awareness. Remember in Luke 16, Jesus talked about Lazarus and the rich man who died. Rich, the rich man was in Hades. He lifted up his eyes. He saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. So there's a general awareness. Does our Aunt Ethel know every step we're taking here on earth? I don't know about about that, but I do know there's a general awareness of what's taking place. Hmm. Do we go to heaven immediately upon our death if we are uh, believers in Jesus? What does the Great. Scripture say? Great question. Second Corinthians 5, 8 says to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. We know the moment we die, we go into the presence of Christ. The question is, where is that? The Bible refers to it as the third heaven. Yes, we are with Christ. We are aware of what's happening. Again, going back to the Lazarus and the rich man, the Lazarus immediately begin experiencing the bliss of heaven. But that third heaven, Georgine, is not our ultimate destination. And this is what is going to surprise people when they read a place called heaven. That third heaven is only a temporary location. Ultimately, our eternal residing place is going to be right here on this recreated earth. You know, John 14, Jesus says he is preparing a place for us in heaven. That place he's preparing is the new Jerusalem. I call it the ultimate and prefab housing because the Bible (laughs) says, John said in Revelation 21, he saw the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven down to earth. So we're ultimately going to be not floating around up there someplace, but right here on the earth as God originally designed it to be. We're talking with Dr. Robert Jeffress. He is the senior pastor of the 13,000-member First Baptist Church in Dallas. He's also heard on more than 930 stations nationwide, including KPDQ, where he's heard uh, weekdays at noon. We're talking about his latest book, A Place Called Heaven, 10 Surprising Truths About Your Eternal Home. If you have misgivings, if you don't really know what to expect, you want to know what the scriptures teach, this is a great resource to help you uh, in that effort. We're going to take a quick break, but we will return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We are back 48 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Robert Jeffress. He's the author most recently of A Place Called Heaven. Have you ever wondered what it's going to be like? What do the scriptures have to say about it? Well, the subtitle of the book is 10 Surprising Truths About Your Eternal Home. And as he mentioned earlier, if you are destined to uh, spend eternity in a place, don't you want to know a little bit about it? Well, this is a great resource to help you do just that. One of the questions I think many of us have is whether or not heaven is going to be the same for everyone. You mentioned that we'll have work there. Um, What determines what our experience in heaven will be like, and will it be the same for everyone? 
Well, it's going to surprise people to hear me say this. What determines uh, the kind of heaven we experience will be our good works, Georgine. Now, I know that's anathema to a lot of evangelical Christians. We've been taught, oh, good works are worthless. That's only true before we're saved. You know, our best we can do, the Bible says, is like a filthy rag to God. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. But once we become a Christian, a follower of Christ, our degree of faithfulness has a great deal to do with what kind of heaven we're going to experience. Because how we live as a Christian now is a sign of our faithfulness to God, and God does reward faithfulness. Second Corinthians 5.10 says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He's talking about Christians, that we may be rewarded for what we've done in the body, whether it be good or worthless. And so, again, it is our faithfulness to Christ, how we invested our time, our talents, our treasure, all of those things will determine what kind of heaven we experience. If you were to ask the average man on the street where they think they're going when they die, they'd say, oh, I'm going to heaven. Everyone expects that's where they're going to go. Uh, but you don't just decide that's my eternal destination. How do we prepare uh, for our journey to heaven if, in fact, that is where we will uh, ultimately end up? How do we know? Well, I've did, the last chapter of my book is How Can I Prepare for My Journey to Heaven? And I talk about eliminating regrets. I talk about the here-there mindset. I talk about getting your practical affairs in order. Just like Isaiah told Hezekiah, he said, get your house in order for you will die. There are some things we ought to do now to prepare for that journey. But, Georgine, the most important thing, the foundational thing, is to make sure we have a proper passport to get into heaven. If you're going into heaven, you need to make sure any foreign country you have to have the right passport. I tell the story in the book, when I was a youth minister, we took 200 kids to the Soviet Union. It was back in 1978, the height of the Cold War. It was the most oppressive time I can imagine. Finally, after two weeks, we were ready to go to the next country. We were so excited about leaving there. That night, we were leaving Moscow. I sent all the kids through passport control first, since I was the leader, sent my wife through. I was the last person. I reached for my passport. I couldn't find it. Oh, no. I mean, I was panicked. The flight was leaving. I explained the situation to the Soviet guard. He couldn't have cared less. My wife was on the other side of the turnstile crying, thinking about her husband being in a Russian gulag forever. Finally, a friend on the other side started laughing, held up my passport. He had taken it as a joke. And I cannot tell you the relief I felt as I went through that turnstile from bondage to freedom. You know, the Bible says in Matthew 7, on the last day of the judgment, people will plead with the Lord for entry into heaven. Lord, didn't we do that? Didn't we do that? Mm. He'll say, forget that. I never knew you. The most important thing we do on this side of death is make sure we have the right passport. And the only passport that gets us into heaven is the one that is stamped forgiven by Jesus Christ. Only forgiven people enter into heaven. And that's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man and comes to the Father except by me. Hmm. For those of us who, who are followers of Christ, um, talk a little bit about the difference uh, it makes uh, to recognize uh, the, the fact of heaven, that that is our future destination, and, and the difference it ought to make to our life today. You know, thinking about heaven, 
uh, studying about heaven. I mean, there are a lot of benefits. It's a motivation to live a pure life, knowing that we're going to appear before Christ one day. It's a great uh, motivation uh, uh, to make sure we're investing in those things that count for eternity. But, you know, there's something about heaven. One of the benefits of being heavenly-minded is it puts suffering in perspective. Yes. You know, uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, for our momentary light afflictions are nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. And, you know, you read that, you think, uh, you know, light afflictions, Paul, you were stoned multiple times, you were beaten within inches of your life, you were shipwrecked. He said, yeah, those afflictions were real, but they were light compared to the weight of glory that awaits me. And then he said they're also momentary. Maybe some of our listeners, Georgine, feel like that their suffering is endless. It seems that way. It may have gone on for years, but compared to eternity, it's only momentary. You know, somebody said one time, from the perspective of heaven, our worst suffering on earth will one day be seen to be nothing more than a one night stay in a bad mm. hotel. <laughs> so, I mean, thinking about heaven helps put suffering in perspective for us. Oh, we so desperately need perspective. Once again, the book is titled A Place Called Heaven, 10 Surprising Truths About Your Eternal Home. Dr. Jeffress, it's a, always a delight to talk with you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Georgine. Uh, by the way, the book is published by Baker Books and is available uh, in bookstores. Dr. Jeffers can be heard here on KPDQ weekdays at noon. Now, before we uh, take our break at the top of the hour, I want to invite you to attend a special event that's sponsored by our sister station, The Fish. It's a family-safe evening of comedy featuring Michael Jr. If you're not familiar with him, you should be. He is Hilarious. He is probably my favorite comedian. We're going to be giving away pairs of tickets today through the end of the week to uh, see Michael Jr. on Saturday, September the 16th at East Hill Church in Gresham. And we're going to do that right now. We want to give away a pair of tickets to uh, see Michael Jr. Um, let's see, which caller should we go for, Clark? You get to choose. He's shrugging his shoulders. Caller number two. The number to call, 800-845-2162. That's 1-800-845-2162. By the way, we're going to be emailing those tickets, so you need a valid email address or an email address that someone can receive uh, for you. So keep that in mind, 800-845-2162. And we're giving away one pair of tickets to see Michael Jr. on Saturday, September 16th at East Hill Church in Gresham. My guess is tickets are going to sell very quickly, so uh, take advantage of the opportunity to win a pair, but if you're planning on attending, purchase them sooner rather than later. Uh, He's a a nationwide, uh, nationally recognized comedian, uh, became a believer some years back, and he just uh, does uh, does wonders. Again, that's the Family Safe Comedian Michael Jr. on Saturday, September 16th, East Hill Church in Gresham. The doors will open at 6 o'clock p.m. The event starts at 7 p.m., and you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, we're going to be emailing those tickets, so you need a valid email address uh, to um, pass along to Clark. Oh, by the way, and a phone number. All right, uh, we're going to take a break in just a couple of moments for our top of the hour stuff, uh, news and traffic. But I want to let you know what's coming up in this second hour. We're going to talk with Scott Wilder. He's with Save the Children. And as you've probably heard here on KPDQ, we have uh, partnered with them. It started last Friday as uh, Hurricane Harvey was making its way into uh, Texas. We've partnered with them to raise funds to meet the needs of those who have been displaced in Houston and the surrounding areas. Now, there are lots of charitable organizations that are doing work, and I am so grateful for them all. Uh, uh, 
Save the Children is focusing, as the name would suggest, on children, particularly those whose um, parents find themselves in a very difficult situation with young children. They're providing essential supplies for families like hygiene kits, blankets, portable cribs, strollers, food, water. And they're also providing safe spaces that give kids a chance to be kids while their adult parents deal with the family's immediate and long-term needs. They provide child-friendly spaces uh, to uh, help kids to to deal with uh, what's happening. Now, Save the Children has um, has been doing this kind of work for nearly a hundred years. So they're prepared and they're on the ground. Children are the most vulnerable during a crisis like this one. And there are thousands of them who have been impacted by Hurricane Harvey. And there will be uh, more in the days ahead. So uh, rather than having babies sleeping in cardboard boxes and children falling off of carts, Save the Children is providing the resources they need. So uh, I want to let you know that uh, they're asking us, we we ask, what can we do to help? What would you suggest would be a good way uh, for you to move forward with your work? And they suggest that a gift of $50 right now can help provide life-saving aid that families need. Now you can contact Save the Children by phone at 888-248-0312. That's 888-248. Two four eight zero three one two. You can also go to kpdq.com and you'll see the the Save the Children banner immediately when the page pops up. They're giving another address as well. It's probably easier to remember kpdq.com. Um, and uh, we have uh, a link to their site and uh, you can give on our um, our secure uh, website. So take advantage of the opportunity to do that. So we're going to talk with Scott Wilder, Wilder rather from save the children about their efforts and our efforts to come alongside. We're also going to talk with James Carafano. He's a leading expert in national security and foreign policy challenges. We're going to talk about FEMA that of course is responsible for the federal response to this uh, disaster, the latest in what has been uh, f- far too frequent events, large and small. We'll talk with James Carafano about that. And then I'm going to rebroadcast the conversation I had with Chuck Jewell, who's a general manager from Salem Media. He oversees uh, the several stations in the Houston area. He was uh, he and his family, I should say, were displaced by flooding in Houston. And we're going to talk with him about that experience and just what's happening on the ground. Uh, he is uh, helping with the Save the Children campaign as well. So all of that. And we'll close up with uh, Beth Moore's response. Uh, She lives in Houston and she offers her perspective uh, from that vantage point as well. News and traffic are up next. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Glad that you are with us. Well, as you know, we've been following what's been going on following Hurricane Harvey. Tornadoes, lightning, heavy rain, flash floods, they're all related to Hurricane Harvey and they continue to put millions at risk and that includes three million children. It's one thing to see the images, our hearts are broken, we have compassion, but how do we move from being compassionate to actually being part of the solution? Well, I'm delighted to uh, remind you that we have partnered here at KPDQ with Save the Children. This is an organization that has been uh, ministering to children for a 100 years. They're prepared and they're on the ground in Houston, and we are delighted that we can not only bring you details of what's happening in Houston and surrounding areas, but we can uh, encourage you to be a part of the solution. Joining us now is Scott Wilder with Save the Children, and uh, he can give us some perspective and remind us that we can, in fact, minister to those who are in such desperate need. Scott Wilder, thank you so much for joining us. 
Oh, it's my pleasure. Great to talk to you again, my uh, my dear friend, for many, many years. So it's a <laughs> Absolutely. great pleasure to be, to be back with you. Well, I know this is a very busy season for you because Save the Children is on the ground and working following this and in the midst of this disaster in Texas and now uh, in Louisiana. To give us some perspective of what's happening on the ground, particularly as it relates to children. Well, we know that 30,000 people were displaced immediately. I mean, that was immediately over yeah. the weekend. Before before even Monday came, there were 30,000 people that were no longer able to be in their homes. And, and that that is uh, quite a long number. Now, 17,000 of those are actually uh, in sh- uh, shelters in Texas. So, so some of the people have family or friends they can go be with. So they're displaced, but they're not in shelters. Right now, that number in shelters is 17,000. There are 9,000 cots in the Houston Convention Center, and they are all full. Um, as you can imagine, that, that's not the safest place for yeah. children. And so we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But, but just the enormity of the event, um, you know, they say everything's uh, unprecedented until it happens. Uh, the, the most rainfall in any tropical storm or hurricane that has ever fallen on the continental U.S., uh, was this storm, and we we love to brag about everything is bigger in Texas, but that's not the one that we want. But you know, if the, if the, if the problem is big, uh, the hearts are awfully big, and not just uh, fellow Texans, but uh, people in America. Um, I have traveled around the world with Save the Children and many other organizations over the last twenty years, and, and I've seen great work that Save the Children's doing in other countries. And I've come back and I've advocated on that behalf. But uh, every now and then you have something that happens here at home yeah. and you need to be able to do something at home. So not just in 120 countries around the world, but also right here at home in terms of disaster crisis. Um, Save the Children is doing, uh, I think, God's work. And, you know, uh, there were babies that that very first night on Saturday night, they, they were at shelters and they had to sleep in boxes. I mean, we, we, we didn't want that to happen two nights in a row. So uh, or ever again. And so we made sure that there were enough portable cribs and strollers and uh, hygiene kits and blankets and formula and diapers and all those things that, that are just the physical needs that have to be there in place. But then beyond that, one of the things that Save the Children is known for around the world, uh, whether it's refugee camps, people fleeing one government or driven out of a country, whether it's people in war-torn areas that are fleeing out of a country, and living along a border somewhere, in every place where there are large groups of people and many children that are living there with their families, uh, Save the Children creates what are called child-friendly spaces. And those are places that are run by trained staff members. They give parents the opportunity to put their kids there and protect the area of a shelter for a period of time. And those those children then can uh, be children a little bit yeah. in the midst of all the trouble. So, that's something that's going on right now. Uh, and I think that the first child uh, uh, friendly space was put in place yesterday at 2 p.m. Central Time, and now there are three more that are in place in in the shelters. So the number's going to go up from 17,000 because more people, as they as the roads clear and people can get access to leave, some people will will opt to go to San Antonio or Austin. Well, it's it, it's encouraging to hear that there are. are things in place to address the unique needs of children and that we have an opportunity to come alongside Save the Children and support that work because children really are the most vulnerable in these kinds of catastrophic events. And sometimes we overlook the challenges that parents face in trying to protect their children while at the same time uh, resolve the issues that have have arisen for the family, their immediate and their long-term needs. 
Yeah, well, let me give you a good example. I was talking to Ken Lorman over the weekend, our Washington uh, D.C. Uh, news guy, and, and we were doing some news updates while it was still Category 4 uh, at the top of the hour over the weekend on Saturday. as It was just, uh, you know, sun was coming up and we were seeing the devastation. And I was talking to Steve, uh, to, to Ken on the air about these things and even mentioned the, the uh, child-friendly places or spaces. And uh, off the air, he said, i got to tell you, I, I'm, I'm a native of Louisiana. And he said, I was there during Katrina, and my kids were young. And he said, they're older now, but, but in, in getting ready for the coverage of this storm, I was talking to my kids, again, who were older now, and he said, I did not understand how that storm impacted my kids from a grizzled newsman. You know, he, he's seen mm-hmm. it all. Yeah. And, and, and even he was like, I, I, it was such a devastation. For my kids, he said, so when I hear about uh, child-friendly spaces, he said, I, I know exactly how important that is, how important it is for, for mom and dad to be able to talk about mom and dad things and the future and their home and their stuff. Uh, and my kids be here for a period of time. So, uh, we, you know, imagine this. Imagine being a, being a child and you've been told that, you know, you, your parents protect you. And often we talk about your danger and we talk about your home is the safest place and and then your home is ripped away, and maybe you can't go back to it ever, and you have no home anymore. That very next night, you are actually sleeping on a cot next to 9,000 people that are strangers. That is a traumatizing event yeah. for kids. So, so this, is what, this is what Save the Children has been doing for, for 98 years, almost 100 years. I've seen it around. I know exactly uh, the benefit that this has for, for parents and for children and for families. And so okay, we have a chance to come alongside and um, to to speak up and to say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a part of it. When this happened, usually we ask two questions. We ask, what can I do? And then we ask, who can I trust? And so Save the Children has been about this business for an awful long time. And today, you know, your $50, I think the average gift today is $114. But, the, 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 you know, the, the, the people give thousands of dollars, people give it's not a matter of, of how much, it's a matter of how many of us will do something. And so not, a, not out of guilt, but out of gratitude, we would reach out and say, you know, it, I, I can do something. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful my family is safe. And if, if any of us ever use the phrase, there but for the grace of God go I, I think we should partner that phrase very quickly with another companion phrase they should follow, and that, that phrase is, there with the grace of God I go. Yes. Uh, we, 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 have, we have the ability to do that. Uh, this is God's, Jesus was skin on it. Uh, they're going to know we're in love. It has to be what they see, not the warm and fuzzy feeling inside that results in nothing on the outside. It is what they see, the good work, give glory to our Father who's in heaven. Amen. So I, this, this is a chance to do that together. And I'm as, 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 as pained as I am as a native Texan, about what's happening to my state. I know, I know the heart of the people of Texas is great, and uh, this is a great opportunity for Americans to come together and say, you know what, there are no differences today. Uh, today, this is a no-brainer. We're going to do something for the kids with this effort. Absolutely, and that's what we're going to do here. You can contact Save the Children at 
888-248-0312. Again, that telephone number, 888-248-0312. You can also log on to kpdq.com. Look for the Save the, ba- Save the Children banner, and you'll see that immediately uh, when you log on to kpdq.com. Up next, we're going to talk with Chuck Jewell. He's the general manager of a cluster of stations in Houston for Salem Media. He was displaced by the floodwaters. We're going to talk with him about that and, again, encourage you to give Save the Children. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We are back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, as we have focused our attention on what's happening in Houston and uh, areas surrounding that area, the flooding, the storm that has not yet uh, subsided, uh, it's been uh, interesting to see that FEMA has moved in as expected to respond as they have in similar situations. But some would suggest that uh, perhaps this is a good opportunity to consider the reformation of FEMA um, before the next disaster strikes. Now, here to talk with us about that is James Carafano. He's a leading expert in national security and foreign policy challenges uh, uh, to join us to talk about the coming together of all kinds of people during Hurricane Harvey and what we need to consider uh, regarding FEMA's role moving forward. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it's great to be with you. Well, it's been uh, heartening to see the people of Houston and those who are coming to their aid from other parts of the country coming together to rescue those who are in a desperate situation. This is an unprecedented event, and one would expect that the uh, Federal Emergency Management Agency would step in and play a major role in helping with the recovery. But that may not always be the case when there is a disaster, sometimes with a capital D and sometimes with a small d. What are your thoughts regarding the role of FEMA in general uh, as it relates perhaps to this event and others that may be significantly smaller? Uh, well, well, first of all, I think it's exactly right. There was this mythology that was was literally made up and completely untrue that part of the reason why FEMA responded so poorly to Hurricane Katrina was that it had been rolled in under the Department of Homeland Security. And that simply was not true. And this is from somebody that worked on that issue from the day the department was created and, and knew all the key players and, and tracked all the issues before, during, and after. And that was simply a political argument that people made that didn't want FEMA to be part of DHS. Um, but there was no truth to it. I mean, the, largely the failure of Katrina, put simply, was the a lot of bad luck the city responded poorly. The state responded poorly. When the federal government was called in, it did its job. But the catastrophe was such overwhelming size that it took a while for the system to catch up. And could FEMA have done better? Sure. Could they improve their processes? You bet. And, um, and the one thing we actually have seen, and this is bipartisan, Democrat, Republican, mm-hmm. FEMA has has developed better capabilities to respond over time and 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 ramping up to deal with with catastrophes on the level that we're dealing with now and and arguably they are better inside the department because they they're able to draw on all the resources of the department for events like this and coordinate it more closely with with units like the, the coast guard and in addition FEMA still has the predominant role in organizing the national response and they do report directly to the president. Uh, and there is not bureaucracy between them and the president in disasters like this. So the system is is actually working like it's supposed to work. And you have to remember when you say big and small, the system that we have in this country is tiered. So local governments, they're closest to the scene. It's their people. They respond. If they can't help out, they turn to the state. If the state can't help out, they turn to the federal government. They ask for support and the kind of support they need, and the federal government provides that. Now, 
That's the way the suspicion is supposed to work. So on, on the little ones, you don't see a big federal role. On the big ones, you do. And what we've learned since Katrina and what we do better at is when we know a big storm like this is coming, we preposition assets and requirements so we're better able to jump in at the front end, not before the state asks us, but immediately when the state asks, the federal government just leaps in there. So they kind of lean forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, FEMA is tasked with leading the response of these uh, devastating disasters. But I understand that since the 80s, its involvement in small kind of local disasters has also increased. Is FEMA stretched too far in dealing with more than it, it probably should? And explain the Stafford Act and how that uh, determines what FEMA will and will not, uh, can and cannot do? Well, so the Stafford Act, you know, defines this process of tiered response, when the federal government steps in, what kind of aid it brings, how that's reimbursed and everything else. So it provides the legal structure for that. Um, but under that, the, the president has enormous flexibility and authority. And what we have seen in an increasing scale, and it really started under the first George Bush, it dramatically accelerated under Clinton, it ex- and, it, and it continued to accelerate after Bush, after Katrina. And, and what we've seen is increasingly, because of political pressure and wanting to say, oh, we're there for you, the, the, the federal government has leaped in to respond at lower and lower levels of thresholds just so they could say the federal government is doing something. Now, the, there are two downsides to that because you say, well, what's wrong with that? One is, is the tendency of states to be less prepared and less robust because, oh, we'll just turn to the federal government and have them do it. Now, to be fair, that's not the case in the state of Texas. The state of Texas invests a lot in disaster preparedness and emergency response. They're the national leader in many, many ways, uh, and they don't shortchange themselves on that mission. But there are some states that do do that, and so it actually in some ways encourages states to be less prepared. The other thing that, that, it, that is arguably a challenge is the more FEMA runs around responding to small and smaller disasters at lower and lower levels, the more it distracts from FEMA's core mission, which is to resp- be able to, to robustly respond to disasters like Hurricane Harvey and, and even larger, because as massive as we think those are, there are natural disasters um, and made, man-made disasters from attacks and everything else that could be of an even larger scale. So we, so we do worry about this kind of creeping federalization uh, and, the, and the overuse of FEMA. Um, and and that's, that's, that's been a, a growing problem we've seen Republican and Democrat um, really over the last 20 years. Is there any discussion uh, about... Uh either amending the Stafford Act or reforming uh, FEMA so that it is uh, limited to the larger events and uh, at a lesser capacity uh, involved in some of the smaller events, and that states are, are required then to take a, a larger role in some of these smaller events that they should and could manage? Well, there's always discussion, but in, huh. in the end, there, there winds up being not a lot of political will for that because nobody wants to be the guy on the line that says, yeah. when, you know, when somebody calls, I can't respond. So there have actually been some very creative and innovative ideas uh, that were actually bounced around in the last administration of ways to incentivize states to be more, more responsive, more forward-leaning, and to really shift that thing. And, and they are practical and realistic. Um, but to be, to be honest, we never we never really have that conversation because we don't worry about it on days that nobody is dying. And on the days that people are dying, we, we don't have those conversations. Yeah, it's not, um, not the day to start one. Is, 
Yeah. Well, something that's coming up is that, you know we we have this national flood insurance thing, which is a which is just a financial disaster, yes. ridiculous. But every time we try to reform it, something like this comes around, and nobody wants to talk about it in the wake of a flood about reforming flood insurance. So at this point, would you uh, say, would you assess that FEMA is where it needs to be at the time it needs to be? And is the real test then uh, several weeks, months down the road, as we're being told, this is likely not just to stretch into months, but likely to take years for a full recovery or a new normal? Right. And that's not really FEMA's job. FEMA is in the federal response. An actual recovery plan, which is, you know, getting things back to where they were or, or making them better or just, you know, giving up and walking away, that's not really FEMA's job, right? And and the federal role in there is always kind of to be determined, right? So it is something that will be worked out between the federal government and, and the state uh, as, as we look at the needs ahead. Um, and, and we don't want FEMA doing that, right? Because if you think about it, if FEMA is involved for 10 years rebuilding Houston and, and there's a, uh, a, you know, a class four hurricane in Mississippi a, a week from now, you know, that's a problem, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll uh, certainly continue to follow what happens with this most recent disaster as it's, uh, it's still unfolding. Thank you so much for, uh, for talking with us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it very much. Again, uh, James Carafano is a leading expert in national security and foreign policy challenges uh, with the Heritage Foundation. Up next, we're going to share a conversation I had earlier today with Chuck Jewell. He is the general manager of the Salem Media Group in Houston, Texas. He oversees several stations there. He was displaced from his home early on, as the expectation was there was going to be flooding. We'll find out uh, whether or not that warning was uh, uh, was merited or not. We're going to talk about his uh, perspective on what's happening in Houston and whether or not our efforts to come alongside and support those who need our help now is going to make a real difference. Chuck Jewell will be my guest coming up in just a few moments. Also, uh, later in the program, we'll talk about uh, Beth Moore, who whose opinion piece appeared in Christianity Today. She lives in Houston, and she shares her uh, views on the town that became her uh, her home when she was 15 years old. She married there, she lives there, and offers her uh, perspective from the vantage point of the Houston she loves. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we are back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, as you know, we've been talking about the fallout in Houston following Hurricane uh, Harvey and the, the devastation that is left in its wake has not ended. We may not know for some days what ultimately the damage will be. But for those who have been displaced from their homes who are experiencing flooding today and others who anticipate flooding, flooding rather in the days ahead, uh, this is a very difficult time. Well, uh, Salem has a group of stations in Houston, and joining us to talk about his experience in Houston is Chuck Jewell, who is the GM there over the cluster of stations, uh, Salem Media Group stations there. I appreciate so much your taking the time to talk with us today. I know that you have been displaced by the flooding, so this is a, a sacrifice on your part. Thank you for joining us. Hey, no problem. Glad to give you guys uh, an insight into what's going on here. You know, we're here on the West Coast. We're seeing images from Houston, and they are they're heartrending to see the 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 uh, difficulty that people are facing in the wake of this storm. Help us to understand what it was like for you when you and your family were displaced by rising waters. Well, when I kid a few years ago, you know, we lost power for a couple of couple of hours, but other than that, we had no loss and it just kind of passed. We didn't really appreciate as much as uh, we should have the, the terrible misery that I caused, but 
with this, I think it was Thursday afternoon, um, we were watching TV and our world kind of come to an end when the guy says, look, there's going to be a mandatory evacuation of your area because of the Brazos River. So, you know, we tried to get out of town. Every single area uh, to get out was blocked. And, you know, there for a while, we didn't know what we are going to do. And luckily, one of my sales managers, uh, who is out of the real danger area, took us in. But uh, it was very scary. It became very real to my wife and I. And we still don't know uh, what's going to happen to our house. So far, so good. But watching the images of all these people on TV and the, and the pain and suffering, I mean, they're coming down in waist-high water with nothing but the, the clothes on their back and maybe a dog, the, the, the family dog. And the big thing that really gets to me in my heart is, you know, the adults, it's, it's hard on them, of course, but it's the children that are really the ones that I just, my heart goes out to because they're in more stress. And most of these kids now are with their parents in uh, a shelter somewhere, and they're not really, uh, you know, equipped for children. So they need clothing. They need things like toys. I mean, just a coloring book uh, for a child to get his mind off of uh, his uh, troubles for a while would be great. So, you know, I know Salem is doing Save the Children, which is a great thing to bring in all these needed clothing and diapers and shoes and and like I said, toys and things to help these kids out. I just love the fact that they're doing that. Well, and I love the fact that we have an opportunity here and in stations all across the country to partner with them to provide the resources that these families and their children so desperately need. It's difficult for us, I think most of us in this country, but certainly those of us here on the West Coast, to really understand the devastation of losing everything in a moment. A storm hits, the waters rise, you're evacuated from your home, you don't know what you're going to return to. For many of these families, trying to communicate with their children... You know, what life is going to be like for them in the future. And we're hearing stories of of, uh, the fact that this is going to take not just weeks and months, but perhaps years to fully recover. I'm grateful that we have an opportunity to respond in a constructive way and that um, uh, this is an opportunity to extend the love of Christ through an organization, Save the Children, uh, that is motivated by their love for Christ. Um, Do you think this is going to have a major impact on your community? Oh, no question. I mean, there's so much need in this town, and for Save the Children to, to get into this fray and to help out and bring money and have listeners like at your station and ours give of their, their treasure to help people who are less fortunate is, is just heart, you know, it's just heartwarming to me. And the thing I love, I've worked for Salem now for 13 years, and this is what Salem does. Salem partners with people like Save the Children to bring needed food and shelter and, and, and just the necessities of life to people at a time when they think the Lord has abandoned them for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just love the fact that Salem does this and has a heart for people. Um, it, I'm just very proud of what we do. Well, I have to tell you, KPDQ listeners are also people with very big hearts. And I would encourage our listeners to consider making a gift of $50. That's what Save the Children says will really help them to provide for a child, for a family in a shelter or looking for a place to be sheltered. You can call 888 888- Two four eight zero three one two. That's eight 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 two four eight zero three one two. You can also log on to kpdq.com and you can give online there as well. A gift of fifty dollars will make a big difference in the life of a child who has been displaced, has no idea what's going on, what the future holds, but it says to them there are people all across this country 
who are aware of my situation. They care about me and I am being provided for. It's as if we are wrapping the the arms of Jesus around these children so that they are comforted in knowing uh, that everything's going to be all right. Again, that telephone number, 888 888- Two four eight zero three one two. You can also log on to kpdq.com. Now, one of the things that has impressed all of us, and particularly during this very divisive time in our country, is seeing the, the people of Houston come together uh, to, to minister to one another, whether that's a boat that's put in the water to save neighbors or people who are coming from uh, areas nearby coming to help rescue those who are stranded. Is that part of the, uh, the, the culture in Houston? Yes, that's why I'm so proud to be a Texan for the last 13 years. The neighbors helping neighbors. They don't have to be called. They don't have to be asked or begged. They just come to the site where it's needed, and they bring their boats and their and their power boats, their canoes, you name it. They're there. And I have never seen anything like this. Uh, but here in Texas, uh, you know, we say everything's bigger in Texas. Well, the heart is bigger in Texas as well. Mm. So I'm very proud of our Texans. And, and what they come out and they, they work with the community and they just make try to make things better right away. So yeah. I'm very proud to be here. Serving one another. Well, my hope is because we can't hop in a boat and go door to door and rescue people. We can't drive our cars and get there and provide some material support personally. I'm hoping that we will respond to the invitation that's been extended to us from Save the Children. And we partnering with them in order that we can extend the love of Christ in very practical and tangible ways to those who are in great need. And we can see it with our own eyes. I'm hoping that KPDQ listeners will get in that lifeboat and call 888 888- Eight two four eight zero three one two, and make a gift of fifty dollars or any amount uh, that you can give to come alongside families who are just trying to stay together and reassure their children that everything's going to be all right. Uh, again, you can call Save the Children at eight 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 two four eight zero three one two. You can also log on to kpdq.com, and of course, you can give on our secure website. Look for the Save the Children banner, and all the details are there for you. Let's demonstrate to the folks in Houston that we here in the Pacific Northwest, and in particular, the body of Christ, we have big hearts here as well, and we're going to come alongside and uh, help them to recover from what really has been unprecedented and devastating in terms of its uh, its overall scope. So what's happening uh, for you in the days ahead? Uh, will you find out uh, the status of your home? Do you know when you'll be allowed to return? Yeah, um, we got good news uh, early this morning that the Brazos River, which is why we were displaced, isn't going to rise as fast or as far as they previously thought. So we are hoping against hope that later this week we'll be able to go back home. Right now it's we're still high and dry and praying that, that uh, the area that I live in stays dry. Um, so it's better than it was two days ago. Two days ago they said we could have six feet of water oh. in our house. And that just, I mean... You say, what do I do? Now I, now I put myself in the place of all these poor people that Save the Children is trying to help. Uh, where do you go? The hotels are booked. The apartments that are available are booked. Uh, who, who do I go to? I'm, my relatives don't live in Texas. I have to count on somebody, and Save the Children is one of those organizations that's there to help uh, the, the people that need it the most, and that's the kids. 
Absolutely. We're being told that upwards of 30,000 people will be displaced before this is all said and done in Houston and surrounding areas. We can't uh, provide for every single one of them, but we can reach out to one family, to one small child in Houston or uh, somewhere where they have been displaced by calling Save the Children and making a gift of $50 or more to provide them what they need the most right now and to give them a sense of calm and hope in the days moving ahead. Again, that telephone number for Save the Children, 888 888- Two four eight zero three one two. That's eight 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 two four eight zero three one two. You can also log on to kpdq.com and look for the Save the Children banner. Well, Chuck Jewell, I appreciate so much you're taking the time to talk with us. We'll continue to pray for your family uh, and others uh, who are displaced uh, in these early days, and uh, just hope that uh, God will intervene and that you'll be able to return to your home soon. Well, I appreciate that. We appreciate the prayers, and and God loves Save the Children, and everybody that's trying to help, uh, we appreciate a lot. Good talking to you. Good talking to you as well. Thanks so much. Uh You're welcome. Again, Chuck Jewell is the general manager of our Salem Media uh, cluster of stations in Houston. And as you heard, he was displaced from his home uh, when the Brazos River threatened to uh, exceed its banks. Thankfully, it appears at this point that his home will not be uh, flooded, but certainly others have been. If you'd like to uh, to respond, you can give to Save the Children at 888-248-0312 or log on to kpdq.com. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back, and this is the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. We've been talking a lot about what's happening in Houston and the surrounding areas, and apparently Louisiana is in the wake, or I should say is in the path of Uh, heavy rains and perhaps more storming as well. But I was reading Christianity Today and Beth Moore uh, pointed out that there's no place like Houston. It's her hometown. She says it's diverse, it's strong, it's faithful. And after Harvey, it will never be the same. She recalls in this opinion piece that when she was 15 years old, she and her family moved from their a home in Arkansas to Houston, Texas. She uh, writes that I pressed my nose to the window, glared at a site utterly foreign, windows boarded up on this storefront and that business, all leftover precautions from a recent scare. It was the exact same time of year within a day or two, I'm sure, that I got my first introduction to Houston's hurricane culture. We moved right into the middle of its annual season and as God would have it, I'd spend the rest of my, uh, the rest of my life joining the rest of our region, minding its business. She goes on to write in her impressions of Houston during this very difficult time, uh, which isn't the first time uh, Houston has faced potential tragedy. She writes that I married a fourth generation Houstonian. This is our home. These are our people. The first sign of summer is a kiosk near grocery checkouts uh, stocked with hurricane supplies and pamphlets. The faces of weathermen on our local stations are more familiar to us than the news anchor. This life on the wet, the Gulf Coast, rather, while each state begs the hellish winds to pass us by, we ache with empathy wherever they blow. Houston took Hurricane Katrina personally, hearts broken in homes, churches and arenas open to thousands upon thousands of evacuees. Every coastal city knows it could be next. We have to have our neighbors um, to survive. We Houstonians, generally speaking, are hardy. The weather's too hot for us not to be. We are a case study for very effective evangelism tactics. Do what you want to go somewhere hotter than this, or rather, do you want to go somewhere hotter than this? Do you? No, we don't. Maybe that helps explain our spiritual culture. It's in the Bible Belt, as you know. Then she continues. 
I've never known more Jesus-serving, Jesus-loving, people-loving, people-serving folks on earth than right here in my hometown of Houston, Texas. I know you think that I'm just saying this because I'm all teary-eyed and sentimentally, uh, but um, with all due respect, you'd be as mistaken as a Longhorn in College Station. Most of us didn't get the memo until late in the game that different denominations were supposed to snub one another. I didn't know how to explain it. A lot of Christians actually like other Christians in Houston. A lot of Christians even like non-Christians in Houston, and on frequent occasions, a fair amount of non-Christians like us. We Houstonians are a spicy lot, she writes. We raise our babies with tongues of fire, mostly lit by chips and salsa. Our blood is as thick and warm as queso. As you pray for us, picture us with the faces of virtually every ethnicity on planet Earth. What's your favorite international food? Indian, Korean, Vietnamese, South American, which region? We've got it and better than you've ever eaten it before. And then a little farther down, she writes this. I'll use the space I've been giving. And again, this is in Christianity Today. They invited her to write an opinion piece online. Uh, I, I'll use this space I've been giving to say this. Your aid to Houston after Hurricane Harvey will not be in vain. She's a, th- she's a thankful kind of girl, our city. Her children try hard to take care of their own, but we're going to need your help this time. We're devastated. They say it will take many months and perhaps even several years to put us back together again. Please don't soon forget us. Don't forget our rescue workers. Don't forget our law enforcement. Don't forget our children and our babies. Don't forget our poor. Don't forget our homeless. Don't forget our elderly. Don't forget our sick. Don't forget our residents who suffer mental disabilities. They are so disoriented and afraid. And don't forget our community of faith. We will work hard and long together. We serve a Savior who walked on water, one who will still rebuke winds and waves and spit out the words, Peace, be still. It is I. Do not be afraid. He can strip the vicious breath off the tongues of tornadoes that have the nerve to harass us like a hurricane wasn't enough. Pray that he will work wonders. Pray that he will equip Governor Greg Abbott, Mayor Sylvester Turner, and city officials with supernatural wisdom. Our evacuees uh, with shelter and our own and his own people with supernatural love and care for our city so that years from now, someone might say, I never was much for church. But do you remember the way those people came out of the woodwork to help that nightmare summer of 2017? Your prayers greatly matter to us. Scripture is a good place to start. And then she quotes three of them. Psalm 53, one through three. Have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. And then Psalm 18, verses 16, 17, and 19. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And then finally, Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Again, Isaiah 43, 2. We are forever grateful, she writes. We'll never be the same, but we can mend the stronger. She's uh, writing, and again, that was a quote from Beth Moore in a Christianity Today opinion piece. She was invited to uh, submit in the midst of the chaos that's taking place in Houston and the surrounding areas. I so appreciate the reminder that uh, God is uh, ministering to people even now and that he's calling upon his people 
uh, to come alongside and support those who are in such desperate need so that perhaps they might say, do you remember the storm of 2017 and how those people, God's people, came alongside and helped? We, as you probably know by now, have partnered with Save the Children in helping to provide for families in particular what they need to stabilize as they move forward and uh, anticipate recovery, which may take a very long period of time. Save the Children is providing resources that uh, families might otherwise not have access to but desperately need for infants and babies, cribs. Uh, the uh, diapers and blankets and hygiene kits, all of the things that they'll need, not just to survive, but to thrive. You can give to Save the Children by calling 888-248-0312. And we ask them what would be most helpful? What can we do? And they suggest a gift of $50 or more will help them provide for a family, for a child in particular, the things they will need to provide some security and comfort and hope moving forward. Again, that number for Save the Children, 888 888- Two four eight zero three one two. You can also log on to kpdq.com, look for the Save the Children banner, and you can make your gift there on our secure website. And thank you so much for generously giving to those who so desperately need our help. Well, tomorrow on the program, we're going to talk with Carla Akins. She's the author of A Pair of Miracles. She's referring to two brothers, a story of autism, faith, and determined parenting. I think there are some Parents who will be encouraged to hear about these young men, the struggle of their parents, and, well, why it's a happy ending for this family. On Thursday, we'll talk with Dr. Jeff Myers, author of The Secret Battle of Ideas About God, Overcoming the Outbreak of Five Fatal Worldviews. I hope you can join us uh, for that. We'll continue to um, give away tickets as well uh, to the upcoming comedy show with Michael Jr. I'm not going to miss it. I hope you won't either. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. want to thank uh, Clark Hilton for engineering, James Blind for engineering a portion of and producing all of today's program. And thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.